Chris and I are both out on special assignment today, so rather than leaving you without your morning podcast, we thought we would share with you this weekend's bonus brief. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Jenny Town. It's the weekend, and this is your DSR Daily Bonus Brief. I'm Grant Haver. And I'm Chris Cotnor. Today, we're joined by Jenny Town, a senior fellow at the Stimson Center and the director of Stimson's 38 North program. Jenny, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Grant. It's good to be back. Yeah, you're our first returning guest. Unfortunately, I wish it was under better circumstances. We've been reporting on lots of missile launches coming out of North Korea over the past few weeks. What do you make of this sort of increase in activity? Well, it's definitely hard to keep track of, especially if you go to sleep at night and trying to decipher in the morning which tweets are new and which ones are about old tests. I do think it's important to make a distinction between what we saw earlier in the year from January to, say, June versus what we're seeing now. Because earlier in the year, this was more of a uh, of their normal technical development life cycles, right? They were testing new systems, one-off tests, testing for performance. Once the performance got to the point that they were happy with, they would, you know, check off that box, make it operational. What we're seeing now is very political. Right. This is in protest to ongoing U.S. ROK joint military exercises. And this is the first year, first time that, that the U.S. and ROK have resumed their large scale live fire exercises. They haven't done these since 2017. And, you know, we should have anticipated that the North Koreans were going to be especially upset about this. And some of the exercises this year are even larger than they were in the past, such as their vigilant storm exercises um, earlier this month that actually included a a 24-hour bombing run, you know. So these kinds of things, you know, the North Koreans have always protested in the past, but usually the protest was a much smaller scale kind of, you know, short salvo of short-range ballistic missiles, either before the test, before the exercises started or after they were over. What we're seeing now is a whole new tactic where the North Koreans are engaging in these clusters of missile tests, but it's not about development. It is about operational training and deployment, including, you know, air combat factors, including salvos of, of missile tests that go on. The one day there was 23 that were conducted in one, at one time. So, you know, I think one way to look at this now is that if, you know, the North Koreans have decided if the U.S. is going to do these large-scale live-fire exercises, North Korea is going to do the same thing. And so we have this sort of drill for drill, drill for drill game that's going on. The difference, though, is that the North Koreans didn't announce ahead of time that these were drills, but only explained to us afterwards. So it does create a certain level of uncertainty and, and, and risk. Jenny, you just spent some time in Seoul. What's the feeling there in terms of, you know, just how, how are people feeling on the ground? But, you know, on the ground in South Korea, they don't really pay attention <laughs> to this kind of stuff. Like, they're so used to it. Obviously, in the defense communities, in the, in the policy communities, this is a real escalation of tensions. You can, you can feel the anxiety that, that's there um, and all the uncertainty that comes with what's going on in this relationship. What is North Korea really trying to do? But 
you know, if you're on the ground and you're not actually actively talking about North Korea, there isn't a sense that there's any kind of crisis going on. Going back to what you said, where we're sort of holding dueling drills, it seems to me that there's a a high chance of sort of a mistake or something unexpected happening. Is that a concern or are they far enough apart from each other that there's no chance that, you know, an errant missile hits civilians or hits some other military base? I mean, that is the major concern. You know, the idea that we're doing these drills, they're, they're both drills, like neither side is trying to start a war. But again, with, especially with the North Koreans not signaling that these were drills instead of doing, you know, multiple missile tests and then telling us afterwards, it does create a lot of room for mistakes to happen, for miscalculation to happen, misperceptions to happen that could, you know, turn something rather innocuous into a, a situation that escalates quickly into conflict. North Korea recently did um, their first air combat exercises that were bombing, you know, near the DMZ, still on the North Korean side. These are all new tactics that we're seeing and, and really can send the wrong messages if they're not message right in the first place. So, you know, that is really the biggest concern is, you know, how are we reading each other? all of the bombastic rhetoric that's going on in between in response to what each other are doing, um, none of this is helpful. And, you know, we've really worked ourselves up here where it's now also very difficult to see how we de-escalate and step down from these tensions. What should the Biden administration be, be doing in, in this case? Are they paying enough attention to this? I mean, they're definitely paying attention to it. One thing, you know, we need to recognize is, you know, the U.S., South Korea, we are the superior military and the superior nuclear capabilities, which make, means that we should be the ones trying to step down at this point in time. We have the luxury of knowing that our capabilities are superior and we don't have to react with especially the kind of bombastic messaging of like, well, if you ever attack, we will totally destroy you. Well, the North Koreans know this. <laughs> They know that we're the superior military forces. We don't need to keep reiterating that. And so I do think there needs to be much better messaging management in order to, to now start to step down and start to create pathways towards a more productive conversation. It's funny. I, I didn't read the bombastic rhetoric as us talking to the North Koreans as much as it was us reassuring the Yoon Suk-yeol administration that we have your back, because it seems like they're being a little more forward-leaning, at least. So my assumption was that they were also leaning on the Biden administration to be a little more aggressive, I would say. What is your read of that? I think that's right. I do think, you know, a lot of the messaging is really focused on reassurance messaging, but, you know, it's a fine line, right? <laughs> the North Koreans are also listening. And, you know, I think we just need to be smarter about how we message these kinds of things where it doesn't need to be necessarily, if it's, if it's for reassurance, it doesn't need to be saying, hey, North Korea, if you ever attack, we will totally destroy you. As much as, you know, again, reiterating the, as they say, the ironclad nature of the alliance and our combined capabilities of just being able to handle any kind of contingency. Like there's ways to message this in a much less combative fashion. 
as much as North Korea is saying these are military exercises and tests, it seems a bit antagonistic to me. I mean, how are people supposed to, supposed to read it? I think some of that comes from the idea of, you know, the media really focuses also on what North Korea does without the context of the situation. If you think about it, the U.S. and South Korea have been engaged in live fire, large scale exercises since May. Different rounds of it, different parts of it have been exercised at different points. So, you know, we've had months of exercises now, not just a week of it. This didn't start right away when we started doing exercises. You know, the North Koreans started, you know, responding after some time of exercises. And so I think we, we need to be much more conscious about how these things, what the, the context of, of what's happening and not just focus on North Korea in a vacuum. So to sort of broaden out and not focus on North Korea in a vacuum, it seems like they sort of did a few things, then went on this pause as China was doing the Chinese Communist Party Congress and have now resumed. How is that relationship going between China and North Korea? And is that changing or evolving as Xi takes on his unprecedented third term, which every headline says? I think we're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> I'm not sure we have the answers yet. Other than, you know, the idea of when we have great power competition, when we're emphasizing great power competition and, and values-based world order, it does create greater gravity between, you know, the non-democratic states, right? So there's more value to North Korea's political support in a values-based world order on the China-Russia side of the equation than there was before when we weren't really emphasizing that values-based relationship, right? So these days, you know, the U.S. administration can say to the North Koreans, oh, we have no hostile intent, but at the same time, we're still talking about democratic states versus the rest of the world, which is inherently antagonistic, right? So, you know, all of these patterns, the North Koreans have been pretty clear about a willingness to align right now with China and Russia. And there's benefits to them doing so. And especially as, you know, for instance, as Russia's pariah status continues to grow, their appreciation for North Korea's clarity and, and loyalty will pay off for North Korea in the long run. I think, you know, the Chinese are very frustrated with what North Korea is doing right now. They don't want these kinds of distractions to happen. But because of the nature of the, the geopolitical relations in general, I think they're, one, a little bit sympathetic to the idea that, you know, everyone else is testing missiles also, South Korea included, and Japan, and, and new security arrangements are coming up um, that bring new actors into the Indo-Pacific that are, you know, a, that appear to be encircling China. So there's some value in having a strong North Korea but certainly they don't want North Korea to be doing all the kind of testing and, and aggravation that they're doing, but they don't necessarily know how to stop it either. We talked a little bit about China. You, you hit on Russia. There were some reports recently that North Korea is providing ammunition to Russia. Both sides have denied it. What do you think? Do you think they're actually supporting them? Honestly, I can't imagine it just because I don't think North Korea has that much to offer, you know? <laughs> I mean, the question is, is would they admit it if they were doing it? And no, I don't think so. 
But, you know, if you look at what's happened in Russia and North Korea relations over the past several months since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, there have been several high level statements from Putin and Kim Jong un that have pledged deeper cooperation in not only strategic, but in tactical um, areas. And so the idea that there's some kind of military to military cooperation going on is highly plausible. The idea that Russia would want North Korean artillery is actually does actually make some sense as well, because a lot of the artillery is based on kind of old Soviet systems. And so it, it at least matches gauges. It's compatible with Russian systems. Um, and the North Koreans certainly have some old artillery laying around that they haven't used in years. So there's probably something to it, but there's nothing in open sources that allows us to corroborate it. Do you see North Korea testing nuclear missiles, number one? And number two, what's the expectation with President Biden's visit to China in just in terms of tests or agenda-wise? The North Koreans, in order for them to meet the goals that they set in January 2021 at the Eighth Party Congress, will have to do nuclear testing at some point. So when exactly that is, who knows, right? And again, from satellite imagery, we can't really tell when a test is going to happen. All we can say is that the test site is, has been restored enough for operational use. So, you know, we, should, we shouldn't be surprised if they do more testing. Um, they've given us every indication that they intend to. And as well as, you know, indications of what kinds of things they're likely to test uh, in terms of, you know, smaller tactical nuclear weapons, warheads, as well as even up to super large, uh, as they as they called it in their Eighth Party Congress. In terms of President Biden going to Asia, you know, North Korea generally doesn't conduct provocative tests while a U.S. president is in the region, knowing that, you know, there's heightened security and all these kinds of things. So I wouldn't expect any kind of major event to take place in, in that respect. But I also don't think there's much reason to think that the U.S. and China will find a way forward on North Korea either. <laughs> We're just, the, the political relations are just not there. And on top of that, you know, the Chinese uh, and Russians especially have already indicated that they don't agree with our approach at this point in time, that sanctions are really the way forward, that these punitive measures are really going to compel North Korea to suddenly change course since they haven't been able to compel North Korea to change course in the 30 years that we've used them. So I, I think we're, we're fundamentally at odds right now, and I don't see that that's going to change anytime soon. Well, hopefully next time you join us, it will be to give us sole restaurant recommendations yes, yes. <laughs> as opposed to this. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. If you have a tip, topic, or correction you'd like to flag for us, please email us at podcasts at the dsrnetwork.com. Every week before these bonus briefs, we ask you about the questions you have in our member Slack channel. So join us there to be a part of that discussion. Thanks to your membership for making conversations like this possible. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday.